welcome to a very special Christmas episode of The Prestige. As you may have noticed, we've been off the air for a little bit whilst uh, one of our hosts had the audacity to go off and have a child. Uh, but he's back, and they've made him talk about Christian films. Yes. So this is a show, as you, you may know, is for film lovers by film lovers. Each week we pick a film, we talk about that film, and some of the ideas and themes we think it throws up. And as always, we end the show with our recommendations for, as we call it, further reading, but other movies um, that are inspired or linked to this week's movie. But we always start off our show with talking about what else we've watched this week. Now, our hiatus means we can kind of open that up a little bit lighter to uh, what have we watched in the last two, three months? So, Sam, <laughs> in, in, in your post-baby haze, have you actually watched anything? You think I've had time to watch anything? I don't. I've been where you are. <laughs> I'm a year and a bit ahead of you, but I know how you feel. No, I, I, I have. I've watched a couple of things. Um... I started watching The Punisher, which is um, it, it's it's quite good and also very violent. And I need to finish it before my son's old enough to be conscious of what's going on. Um, and I tried and failed to watch the new Star Wars film. Um, but I believe you've seen it, so that may come up in, in your discussion. Uh, and I also saw, finally got around to seeing La La Land from early this year, which I I really enjoy. Have you seen it? I really enjoyed uh, it. I haven't. I, I, I tried watching it once and just did, couldn't get into the first scene. Um, but I'm, I'm, I'm very hit and miss on musicals, so I may not have been the person to grab with it. Right. Um, it, is, I, it, it, it is. It is in my very, pile, shall we say. Right. It, it's. I mean, if musicals aren't your thing, then it may not be for you. It's just. It's in the style of old musicals, in the style of things like Singing in the Rain, and it's. It's. It's not too overproduced, and the story's good, and Ryan Gosling and Emma Stone are good at singing and dancing, but not annoyingly good. It doesn't. It's sometimes you get amazing people on screen. You think, well, that's just taken me out of the story because they're annoyingly good at what they're doing. Mm-hmm. They they were sort of. It, it was it was sort of the middle of Strictly Come Dancing rather than the final, yes. in terms of their performances. Um, I I really enjoyed it. it was. I mean, it, it took about six hours for us to watch it, but um, yeah, it was it was very enjoyable. Oh, okay. Yeah. What I would say is having. Uh, been where you're being with watching uh, your movies, your violent films around your son. When we did The Evil Dead way back, probably about a year ago now, mm. um, I watched all of those with my daughter. Right. Yeah. She sat on my lap or she snoozed near me and I watched The Evil Dead. I, right. I worry about that decision in my life occasionally, but uh, she seems fine. Yeah, she's fine. She's fine. Well, as you alluded to there, I have actually been to see Star Wars The Last Jedi. I went to see it last week with my wife. Um, and I bloody loved it, to be honest. It's been very divisive, and I can kind of see why. Um, I won't get into any kind of spoiler territory here, because you haven't seen it. Mm-hmm. But I do appreciate why people... I don't know. I can understand why people are upset, but they're wrong. Right. Um, there, there is a... It is a very different sort of Star Wars film, compared, especially compared to The Force Awakens, which, which I wasn't too hot on. Um... I really enjoyed how it was different. I really enjoyed the things it did with Star Wars. Um, but I can see where divisions come up. 
but I do think they're wrong about that. I think people need to look at it as a different thing. But I think we may talk more about that once you've seen it. Right. Um, as it's very hard to talk about it in any kind of generality without getting specifics, which would spoil the whole thing for you. Um, so I shall leave it at that, saying I enjoyed it, and maybe we'll yeah. circle back to it once I've seen it. Um, anything else that you've you've uh, well, caught I'm, in the basketball ones? The only other thing that the, the other things that I've been kind of watching are trying to catch up on the UCS films. So that may come up with our, our top five of the year if we do that one this year. Yes. So I'll put a pin in those at the moment. Um, I have discovered a show called The Good Place um, on Netflix, starring Kirsten Bell um, and Ted Danson. It's about Kirsten Bell's character who goes to heaven when she shouldn't be. She is mistaken for another person and ends up in The Good Place when she, she's aware she shouldn't be. She, they think she's someone else. And it's about the, the hijinks, shall we say, that are around that. But she's paired with an ethics professor um, as her soulmate. And it becomes very quickly about dealing with real-world philosophy and ethics in this framework of, of the good place. So it sounds, it sounds a bit kind of slapsticky, um, but it very much isn't. Um, and we're into season two, and it's one of the cleverest and best shows I've seen in, in a long time. Um, it makes me laugh like nothing has since Happy Endings, and every main character in it is, is brilliant. So if you haven't seen um, The Good Place, and at this point they are in season two, so I'm behind the curve and getting into it. Um, but it, it is brilliant. Is that Netflix? Amazon? Netflix. Netflix. Um, so yeah, I mean, beyond that, I mean, anyone who follows me on Twitter will know the films I've watched about, I could put more on there. Uh, I'm trying to think of anything when we last watched. Um, but yeah, we'll go with those two. Good. So this week, guys, we are doing a Christmas special. We're returning to our, our season three of looking at directors in the new year. Um, but we thought we'd throw an episode out for Christmas. Actually, this one will go out on Christmas Day. Um, and so we have talked about a film, we're going to talk about a film that... I think mine might be divisive, and I already sort of, I think I know what soundtrack is going to be, but we are going to be looking at the 2003 comedy drama slash possible Christmas film, um, Love Actually. Throughout the years, working title films and writer Richard Curtis have captured the euphoria, hysteria, and humiliation of love. With the films Four Weddings and a Funeral, Notting Hill, and Bridget Jones's Diary. Join this unforgettable filmmaking team. Welcome, Prime Minister. This is Natalie. Hello, David. I mean, sir. 20 years ago, you'd have been just his time. <laughs> <laughs> Love actually tells the tale of eight couples across London. Um, and the hijinks that ensue in terms of getting them together, keeping them together, um, and some parts falling apart. It is a Richard Curtis film, um, and thus is filled with foppish white English people. Um, it has a cast list that makes doing the uh, further reading quite easy. You've got Bill Nighy, Greg McFisher, Colin Firth, Liam Neeson, Emma Thompson, Chris Marshall, Martin Freeman... Uh, Andrew Lincoln, Kieran Knightley, the, 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 not say the cream of British, because um, they still pale compared to the Harry Potter films, but certainly a lot of uh, British talent appears in this film. And so, 
uh, it's one of those films everyone's in, everyone has it. Sam. Yes. I'm, intri- I'm not intrigued. I know what your response is going to be. Um, so, what were your feelings? I'm, well, I, I, I'm, uh, I'm assuming you have seen it prior to your watch for this episode. Oh, yes. Um, what do you... Second-guessing me, what do you think my response is going to be? I think you are going to be, and, and this is not going to... Not a learning character. I think you're going to be on the haters' side of this film. The thing is that... When I first saw this film, and for a few years afterwards, I really enjoyed this film. And I'd say for the majority of my 20s, I went the other way and thought about it more negatively and thought about all the things wrong with it. And still, I think if you pick at many of the things that are wrong with it. And there are many things that are wrong with this film. It can unravel entirely. Um, but I think now I've come back the other way and thought, you know what, I'm in the same way that with La La Land, I suspended my disbelief about people breaking into song and dancing on cars. With, with Love Actually, I'm going to suspend my disbelief and just think, it's just quite enjoyable. And there are some great lines in it. Mm-hmm. And there are some. I mean, Emma Thompson and Anna Rickman just amazing. So yes. you you're you're right that that was it used to be my reaction to this film. But I think I've come around to a different way of thinking about this. Uh, I'm I'm glad to hear that because I do think I do think overall I think it's a good film. I think and this may move more into what we're going to talk about. I think it's an interesting film as well as being a good film. And I think if, the, the easy way I, I think about it is if you compare that the, there are eight storylines to this film basically that run through it, um, different sort of characters. They overlap and they touch each other, but there's eight main storylines. And at one end of the spectrum, you've got, as you highlighted, the Alan Rickman Emma Thompson story, which is essentially about him, their marriage, and him being tempted to cheat—not actually cheating, but being tempted to cheat—and making some mistakes in relation to his secretary. And that's quite a British kitchen drama. It's really kind of heartfelt. Like you can be there's a bit in which she listens to some, I think it's Jenny Mitchell, mm. um, and it's, it's heartbreaking, and and like you feel for him, you feel for her. He's clearly a deer caught in the headlights of the affections of his secretary. He's not, you know, a conniving man, but he's clearly well out of his depth and unable to handle this kind of attention. And it's it's just awful. Um, but there's there's a love there as well. And at the other end, you've got Chris Marshall's Adventures in America. And I just, I, I really enjoyed that, actually, how ridiculous that storyline is. And I think that this is what I think is an interesting film, is that if you go to this film, you can find a storyline that interacts at your level. Mm. So if you want to, you know, have some sexy hijinks comedy, you've got Chris Marshall going over to America, meeting three incredibly gorgeous American girls and sharing a bed with them with no clothes. Like, that—that that is not the same film as Colin Firth's quiet, simple romance with his, his housekeeper in Argentina. Like, that's a very different film. But they're still the same film. And I think overall, the film is, has enough of a scattershot approach that you can kind of hook on to at least one storyline. And that's where, if we look at filmmaking as deliberate choices, I think that's where it comes an interesting film. Because you can go... Like I may not 
dig that one. Like, I'm, I don't particularly dig the, um, the Martin Freeman story in which he's a, um, a, a body model on a film. Not too much bothered by that one, to be honest. Um, and I don't care too much for the um, two kids falling in love. Uh, the... Uh, what's his name? Colin, Colin Firth. Um, oh, Brody Sangster. Yeah, so the, the, the two kids who fall in love doesn't bother me under that story. But they're just two out of all the love stories in the film. Mm. I can I can hang on to it. So I think it's an interesting film in, in that respect. Just uh, we kind of skipped over a little bit, but I love this film. I think it's brilliant. I think it's for me. It is a film I watch at Christmas. I am not overly willing to get into the is it a Christmas film debate <laughs> because I have enough of those in my life around Die Hard. <laughs> um, so I think it is a a for me particularly a, a Christmas e film in that I watch it at Christmas. But I I would question whether it's a Christmas film. By any kind of definition, but mm. I do think it, it's interesting in that respect, and I think the other thing that, and this may move into a bit more of a, a theme for the show possibly, is this idea of love versus romance. And both Sam and I are married, um, and I think there's a very I think once you get older and you get into a long term relationship, there is a very clear difference between romance and love, in the real world of today. Hmm. And this film seems predominantly, predominantly more interested in romance. Mm. It's all about the grand gesture. It is all about the, you know, the uh, Andrew Lincoln showing the cards to Kira Knightley. That, that's not that's not a, that's not love. That's a romantic gesture. Mm. Um, and it's it's it, I think the film, whilst it doesn't do anything with his idea, there is discussion around: is this a, a film about love, or is it a film about Romance. There's that's really interesting actually because um, there are a couple of things to say about um, that Richard Gertz has said about this film, and one of the things that came out afterwards is that there were many more storylines. Um, mm. They're up to fourteen stories, and the ones that got cut seem to be a lot about love. There's one um, with Francis de la Tour and. Um, Alison Reed about a terminally ill woman and her long-term lesbian partner, mm. and which is entirely a story about love and about grieving, and so so many of the stories that got cut seem. And I've I've seen reviews say, "Oh, isn't it a good thing that they cut they 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 whittled it down?" I think, well, yes and no. I mean, it's made it into a different film. Yes, um, I think, I mean, and that's where. This is often where my, not disinterest, but my tolerance of the romantic comedy genre um, comes from. It's the idea that, like, I understand, like, I, there are some rom-coms that I love, but my, I'm more interested in the next day. Like, what happens when these mm. two people who live on different sides of the track, but he, you know, carves her name into a giant sculpture, they fall in love. What happens next? Like, how, yeah. how do you parlay that big moment into... Something real or something long term, but those aren't those aren't the films that sell. Those aren't the films that are blockbuster Christmas hits. Um, no, there are films out there that deal with that sort of stuff. But I think that's where the, the sort of the filmmaking decision has been made, as you say. I wasn't aware of what you're saying about the um, other stories, but it seems clear that they've kind of dealt with this idea of love as something new rather than something lived in. I mean, Emma Thompson and Alan Rickman are probably only two long-term partners that at least we're talking about so we say romantic love 
Um, I'm sure Sam can tell me what the, the four types of Greek love that I can't remember from my school days were. Um, but I can't remember. But that is the... Um, but it go in the footnotes. Yes. But, the <laughs> but, they, but there's... The film kind of, as you say, throws away the idea of long-term love for the, the, the sort of the short-term romantic love or romance. You know, how, how in the world does the Prime Minister date a housekeeper? Mm. You know, what, what, how, what does that look like? And once we get the small coda at the end, um, in which we kind of see them all at the airport, that's not really any kind of story. It's just like a nice little sort of tag on the end, isn't it, really? Mm. I do want... I, I think there, there are a couple of people in this film who are joyfully playing to type. Well, actually, there, there are lots of people. I mean... Hugh Grant is is playing Hugh Grant. Colin Firth is playing Colin Firth, but one character, one actor who's very definitely playing himself as a character is Bill Nye, and yes. he does it brilliantly. Mm. There are, I mean, it, it, the scene with Anton Deck is is one of my favourite scenes in cinema. It's just amazing. To this day, I refer to them as Anton Deck. <laughs> yes. <laughs> And it seems it seems to me that something else that this this film is doing, it, it, as you said, is setting up this dichotomy between love and romance. What it's also doing is um, something you sort of danced around a bit there because you didn't want to get into it. Is is questioning whether or not this is a Christmas film, mm. and that's what Bill Nye is doing. It's not. He's not just. It's not just the audience saying, well, is this Christmas film or not? It's Bill Nye saying, what is the meaning of Christmas? And I'm going to produce this song, which is, in his own words, a pile of shit. Mm. Because it makes money at Christmas. And he, he knows full well that he's playing into this commercialization, And he, he hates the fact that this is happening. So the film the film is mocking this this idea of Christmas as well. And I think that's interesting because the film, the opening scene of the film is Bill Nye um, or Billy Mac and Joe, his, his manager, recording this Christmas song. Um, and the manager says, you know, well, if we, if we ram Christmas in there, they'll they'll lap it up. And you feel like it feels so weirdly metatextual mm, yeah. um, to have these characters go, well, you know, it's just a song, but we ram Christmas in there. Um, and, 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 you know, I've, I've say, so yeah, I don't want to get into the rabbit Christmas films, but this film could happen at any other time of the year. Yeah. You know, yes, you have presents, which is occasionally a plot device, um, and the idea of a, of a school nativity. Um, and they use Christmas in terms of carols and stuff, but it doesn't really need to be at Christmas. Um, but they make it Christmas because they, you know, there's money in that. And it's also, I think Christmas gives, I suppose, a veneer of romance. Mm. You know, they say, you know, Adam Lincoln, you know, if you can't say it at Christmas, when can you? Well, the answer is Valentine's Day. <laughs> yeah, you know, this is a Valentine's Day film, but by putting it at Christmas, it becomes somehow less tawdry than Valentine's Day. It becomes this kind of ethereal, beautiful, heartwarming family esque time for love and romance. You you're right with the word tawdry because there's something really quite sinister about a couple of these storylines, and Andrew Lincoln is one of them. That you think, well, I mean, he's getting away with it because it's a grand dramatic gesture at Christmas time, but any other time he's just stalking his best mate's wife but the thing is that this is this is like i'm, I'm going to refute that a little bit because i think i don't think there's a person in the world who hasn't at some point fallen for the wrong person 
we've all had times in our lives in which we go, I really like that person, but I can't be with them for they're with my friend or they're married mm. or whatever reason. Like we've all, like everyone's been Andrew Lincoln. Now, if they do what Andrew Lincoln did, which is be hired to film a wedding and uh, just film the bride, <laughs> like he goes beyond. But like I think this is where I feel like it gives you a little hook. It gives you a little hook. It's like you know what. We've all been there. We've all been there. When you're like, you know what? I like this girl, and I can't tell. I can never tell her. Um, and it, it, for me, the Andrew Lincoln thing feels like wish fulfillment because you know the end of that of that um, sort of storyline is he doesn't get her. Mm. Like, it, and he says enough, enough now. And like, it's for him, it's closing that loop and moving on. Um, it, the, the Karen Knightley goes back to her husband, who she clearly loves. Um, yeah. So it, it isn't the case of that he does his grand gesture and wins over the girl. He doesn't win over the girl. No. Um, so I think the idea that he's, like, you know, there have been a, a sort of articles accusing that of being, you know, that it kind of teaches men that they can do these things. It doesn't. Like, anyone who looks at Andrew Lincoln thinks as a role model are stupid because he doesn't get the girl. But I will agree, there are problems with this film. I mean, the film, for a film that is set in modern-day London, it is incredibly white. Mm. It is incredibly straight. Yeah, and then bizarrely, th- there's a scene in in the cabinet office where there are two prominent black men in positions of power in the mm. cabinet, and you think, well, is this is, and as you said, this incredibly white environment, and suddenly Richard Curtis thought, oh, I've, I've got to have some diversity here. Yes, I, I think I mean that's where if you want to sort of start picking it, it a little bit, it does at times feel like by the numbers, especially Richard Curtis by the numbers. You know, you've got one disabled person in this film, no one who's black. Um, you've got, you know, people in power swearing a lot. You know, it, it's There are lots of Richard Curtis-isms to this film. Oh, actually, there is one black guy. You've got Dreadful Joe Foreigner. Uh, yes. Uh, but <laughs> once again, he, isn't, he, he, he has like two scenes. Yeah. And and there's the, the, the um, sort of the production assistant uh, with Martin Freeman. Like, oh, but, yeah. But yeah. these, once again, they're all, anyone of colour is a secondary role in this film. Mm. They are supporting acts. They are bit parts, and it's like Notting Hill. Notting Hill was a previous film, Richard Curtis, that uh, mm. that was well loved. But you know, the idea that Notting Hill is once again an incredibly white neighbourhood, according to this film, whereas it literally isn't. That's I kind of feel that way a bit. And if we're going to pick at this film a bit, as we do towards the end, like I feel that it's a bit that way about women as well. Mm. I know there are there are women in positions of power in this film, but predominantly women are either the objects of men being chased or they're sex mad and do the chasing themselves. And you think, well, really, is is that what women are? Well, I'm just I'm just better thinking. Apart from I would say Laura Linney, um, who doesn't like we haven't mentioned too much, but Laura Linney's role in this film I think is brilliant. Mm. I would say all our point of view characters are male in this. Emma Thompson, a little bit, but really we're following Anna Rickman's story there. Yeah. Every other love story in this film, whilst they, I don't think they are, many of them are, any of them are misogynistic stories, we are seeing them from the male point of view. Yeah. And I can't, I'm happy to be wrong there. I can't, I'm, I think the film now, um, but they are all about white men falling in love. Mm. Um, or after love, whatever. Um, but they aren't. We don't see very much the females of this story. Even things like in Colin Firth's um, story, 
which feels much more removed from the rest. We see you know, him in the, in the house thinking. We don't see her thinking. And so I think that there is there's some interesting, not interesting, but there's, there's some problematic elements there around what this film is saying about agency and that kind of stuff. Mm. Yeah. Um, but all they've been done, I think I, I, I will always push back on the idea that if a film doesn't live up to one set of ethical standards, it's not. It's a bad film. I think this is a good film. I think this is a, it's a heartwarming, loving film. Um, and I think, you know, if you look around the internet, suddenly it tends, and this is once again generalisation, it tends to be men who hate it. Women don't tend to hate this film. Um, and I think that's interesting because I think we, particularly you and I, as middle class white guys, we kind of assume that every film's for us. Mm. Um, and I think there's some interesting, there should, there should be some interesting discussion around being able to accept that certain films are just not aimed at us. And we are not the audience for it. Yes, I think also the this is that, that, this, this, this is a blockbuster film. Everything, but you know, it, 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 yeah. it is the broadest of broad films. But I think yeah. there's, you know, particularly mm. in the rom com genre, which a lot of men decry. I think at a certain point you could say, you know, what these these stories aren't for us. Mm. There, I will put the footnotes as well. That yeah, there are some. Um, well, Richard Curtis's wife, Emma Freud, like live tweeted a showing of the film a couple of years ago and there's some there's some brilliant little Easter eggs in there. Mm. Um about uh, th- I mean, their kids being part of the school nativity and you'll see at the end of the nativity the camera lingers on a boy in Spider-Man makeup and there's no reason for the camera to linger apart from the fact that it's Emma Freud's son. Right. And there, there are just there are some there are some good things like that. You have Richard Curtis was having an argument with his brother Jamie at the time, and that's why he called Colin Firth's character Jamie so the the children could say I hate Uncle Jamie. <laughs> uh, Love it. Things, things like that. There there are some. There's I'll put I'll put a link to that in the fellows as well. So, do you have any recommendations for us? Yeah. Well, as you said. There are so many big names in this film that recommendations come quite easy in this. Um, and there are two fairly mainstream films I'm going to mention. Um, one is, I've spoken, well, I'd say a couple of weeks ago, but it wasn't, it was a couple of months ago, um, about the fact that I've seen the sequel to this um, and found it very very disappointing um partly because of uh, how successful it seemed to be the first one was uh but one of the things that wasn't disappointing in this film was colin firth and that's um kingsman um and the first kingsman film i found very enjoyable and i think they should have just stopped there or at least made a very different sequel so that's my seen the sequel i agree with you places yeah. Um my second one is uh for an actor that we've we've mentioned. We probably haven't given her enough airtime really because her storyline's very good in this. It's Laura Linney. And she was in the Truman show and so there's good. not I mean it's not a recommendation. No no one's gonna have not seen the Truman show, but I did want to mention it. Fair so enough. those are my two this week. 
That's good. Now, I, once again, I've gone a little mainstream. It's hard not to, especially at Christmas. But I thought I should stick in the Christmas area and recommend another film in a similar, in a similar sort of genre. And that's a film from three years later. Um, and that's the film The Holiday. Directed by Nancy Myers. Written by Nancy Myers. Starring Kate Winslet, Cameron Diaz, Jude Law, um, Jack Black. It basically tells the tale of two women in different lives. Cameron Diaz and Cameron Diaz, who do a house swap um, for Christmas. One an LA editor and one a UK book editor. And they find happiness and love and all that sort of stuff in the other people's lives. And I think there's, once again, the, the interesting this is how this happened the next day. But it's a very heartwarming film. And I think the inclusion of a female writer and female director gives it far more agency for the female characters. We certainly see the story through their eyes. It's a POE from them rather than through um, the, the men in their lives, which are Jack Black and Jude Law. It's funny, it's sweet, um, and almost all the characters um, are pulling their weight. But I would do a quick shout-out to uh, Eli Wallach. Wallach? I can't pronounce his name. Wallach. Um, Wallach, who plays a elderly... Um, movie veteran who Kate Winslet experiences meets when she is over in LA, and he is he is sweet and funny and at his best in this film. Um, if you want something a little less cloying but still with that kind of Christmas heart, uh, I would highly recommend the holiday. And then, if that's not your thing, then just go and watch Eli Wallach and the Magnificent Seven because it's amazing. Also good. Now, my second recommendation, I would say, is a little bit of a cheat but actually it's a complete and utter cheat in every single way. In that I haven't seen it, and it's not out yet. Um, <laughs> but I want to mention it, because I'm so excited and it. About doesn't it. exist. <laughs> so, uh, Nina Sociana, who plays um, Hugh Grant's second-in-command, chief of staff in this, um, is a, a mainstay of British TV through the last 20 years, I imagine, now. Mm. Um, you will have seen her in everything. Um, but coming out next year, she plays Sister Mary Loquacious, in the TV adaptation of Good Omens, which is Neil Gaiman and Terry Pratchett's take on the apocalypse. It has been one of my favourite films, one of my favourite books for 20 years now, for 30 years now. I love that. But that is the book that got me into reading. I was not a reader growing up. Um, and that book changed the world for me. And it is coming out next year. Neil Gaiman has been live tweeting from the set. Um, so the two main... Uh, Angel and Demon, played by Dave Tennant and Michael Sheen, with support from John Hamm and loads of people you'd know. I am so excited about this. I'm so happy. Having been blown away by the American Gods adaption this year, I'm very excited about it. So, once again, I haven't seen it. It could be terrible. <laughs> but I just want to throw it in there that, that she is in that. She plays a good part in the, having, having read the book. Um, so, I am, I am very much looking forward to that one. Yeah, just looking at her CV, she's been in everything. She has been in everything. Um... Yeah. Which is, you know, he was one of those characters, but I mean, for anyone who listens outside of the UK, you may not know her from other things. I think that may be true of a lot of this film. Like, everyone in this film is someone that we know in the UK. Mm. Um, so uh, it's, it's certainly uh, replete with English actors. So, guys, we will be back at some point, um, hopefully before the end of the year, with our top five of the year. Um, but given we've both got young kids, it may be the top five that we've seen this year. I, um, well, my, mine's going to be a top five of the first ten months of this year. That's fair enough. <laughs> I, I, I am currently trying to desperately catch up on the films that people recommended to me to see if I can get them into my top five. Right. Um, one has broken in so far that I've watched in the last week. Um, 
but uh, we shall come back with that at some point in the future. If not, we will be back in the new year, returning to our um, director of the week. Till then, you can find both of us on Twitter at Pretty Podcast. You find just me at Life Underscore Academic, and you can find just me at Rob Kaiju. And have a merry Christmas, guys! Merry Christmas, everyone! And remember, love actually is all around. The Prestige is a Kaiju Industries production. Check out their other work at facebook.com forward slash Kaiju Industries. Rawr.